The Real Men Connect podcast is blessed to have the Basic Solutions Group as one of our ministry partners. The Basic Solutions Group is one of the leading app creators for ministries worldwide. So whether you want to increase your ministry's reach, maximize your impact, or multiply your message, then check out the Basic Solutions Group at basicsolutionsgroup.com. And to see what they can do for you, just go to your app store and download the Real Men Connect app for free on any iPhone, Android, mobile device, or tablet. Just go to your app store and type in the word Real Men Connect. That's one word, no spaces. Welcome to Real Men Connect. Are you ready to be the extraordinary man, husband, father, and leader God called and created you to be? Then get ready to receive wisdom and guidance from some of the country's most respected men of faith as you learn everything you need to know to go from good man to great man God's way. No judgment, no shame. Just real men with real challenges seeking real change. All for God's glory. Hello, mighty men of God, and welcome to the Real Men Connect podcast, where we help good men become great men God's way. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Martin, and every week we interview some of the nation's most respected and accomplished men of faith to find out what it really takes to become the kind of husband, father, and spiritual leader God called and created us to be. Each interview session is packed with practical, proven biblical principles you can immediately apply in your relationships, on your job, and in your community. Today we have with us Chris Dalberry, who is a pastor, Bible teacher, writer, and trainer of leaders. Having served in pastoral leadership for 17 years, Chris now leads Ministry to Men at Lifeway Christian Resources. He also serves as executive editor of Stand Firm, a devotional for men. As a writer, Chris has contributed to projects such as the Love Dare Bible Study, A Beautiful Design, The Gospel Goes to Work, The Sending Church, The Secret to the Marriage That You Want, The the Family God Uses, and more. He has worked with authors such as Beth Moore, Matt Chandler, Drs. Les and Leslie Parrott, Dr. Tony Evans, Stephen and Alex Kendrick, Coach Joe Gibbs, and others. His articles have been featured in Home Life Magazine, Facts and Trends, Deacon Magazine, and Church Planner Magazine. In his 17 years of ministry, Chris has served as teaching pastor, executive pastor, campus pastor, and student pastor at various churches of various sizes. And as a consultant, this experience has given him tremendous insight in helping churches get from where they are to where they want to be. He is experienced at helping churches develop systems for intentional disciple making and strategic mission. A man after my own heart. And I met Chris at an Iron Sharpens Iron conference where I attended one of his breakout sessions, which he talked about the essentials of men's ministry. And I learned so much from his session and I knew I just needed to bring him on to the show to talk about it. So with that being said, I want to welcome my new friend, Chris Dalberry on the Real Men Connect podcast. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, Joe, good to see you, man. Good to hear your voice. And uh, what a blessing, what an honor it is for me to be here with you. You know, for those who out there listening, they don't, they know, they just hear this, but we're actually on Skype so I can actually see Chris, even though you guys can't. But Chris, man, I tell you, man, it was by divine appointment that I met you because when, you know, we had so many different breakout sessions that we could go to. And I picked yours because when you talked about your title of your session was the four essentials of men's ministry, I was thinking to myself, okay, now I've read it all. I thought I've heard it all. I said, but I want to see if there's something that I'm missing here. I said, I've had some success in men's ministry, but I know a lot of men are struggling who are ministry leaders. Can I learn something new? And not only did I learn something new, I learned a lot of stuff I didn't know. And I said to myself, man, I hope I can get that guy on the show. And so I was thrilled when you agreed to be on the show, man. So thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast, man. Man, man it's absolutely an honor. Glad to be here. Now, Chris, like we always, when we start our podcast off, we always ask our guests to share with us um, their favorite Bible verse that gives them inspiration from the word of God. Man, what's yours? 
You know, what's funny that you say that is just yesterday I was talking to my son who's 14 about this. I didn't know you were going to ask me that. When I was in high school, uh, the Lord just, I don't know, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these things will be added to you, stood out to me. And actually I was telling my son that my, my senior year in high school, when we got our class rings. I had that verse inscribed on the inside of my class ring. So I, it would always be with me. And so even to this day that I wake up in the morning and remind myself of Matthew 6, today, Lord, would you give me your strength to seek you first today. Now, it's funny you say that because that's actually my spiritual father's favorite Bible verse. And I, I guess I'll have to explain this. Sometimes he gets on my nerves, Chris, because whenever yeah. I'm in a crisis and I call him up or I talk to him, and I said, even when I was launching my men's ministry about two and a half years ago, and I said, Howard, I said, man, this is, you know, God has called me to this and I don't know what I'm going to do, man. And what, what advice would you give me? And he always quotes Matthew 6, 33. I mean, that's his answer for everything. That's why it frustrates me sometimes. And he says, Joe, it. seek him, Joe, seek him. And so anytime I ask myself, Howard, I know what you're going to say. Matthew 6, 33, seek you well, well, the kingdom. Seek well, <laughs> first, man. It's such a great filter for everything in life. I mean, there's nothing in life that we go through that verse can't be apply to as you know well right <laughs> absolutely i know all too well because he's been um my my um um paul for probably i guess it's going on now what is it 14 years it's been a long time but i can't tell you how many times if i had a dollar for every time he's told me that i'll be rich right now and so i so i get it perfectly but, but you're the first person ever to say on the show after a hundred and something episodes that that was your favorite bible verse and so he would be proud to to know that that's yours so i'm glad you said that now you mentioned something and i'm going to go there and we'll start there before we get into your um to these essentials that i really want you to share you mentioned this in your class ring that uh, so already that tells me that you knew something about the lord while you were in high school so let's get, let's get the Chris story, the Chris Dalberry story. Tell me about your childhood, man, growing up. What kind of family were you raised in? You know, uh, a, a great family. I, I'm so blessed, man. And my, my parents gave me um, a, a, a clear, tangible picture of what the grace of God looks like and what it means to be adopted as God's very own children. In fact, literally, uh, I was adopted when I was five months old. Most people don't know that about wow, me. I didn't I, my know that. birth parents yeah, my birth parents were in high school. Um, and so when I was five months old, my parents that I called my parents um, adopted me. And so I, I get a unique picture, you know, of, of what um, the Bible talks about when it says we were adopted as God's very own children. And my parents personified that for me, uh, not not just in adopting me, like, you know, the practical application of adoption. But I mean, they um, they showed me what it looks like to pursue the faith. And so when I was eight, I, I realized what sin was and my need for it, my, I mean, my need for God's grace because of it. Uh, and um, man, just watched my both my parents do ministry in the local church. They were not pastors, uh, but they both led in significant ways in a really small church. And so actually, because the church was small, I had the opportunity to lead in ways that I would never have been able to in a larger church, even at a young age. And so I, I watched my parents pursue the Lord and, uh, and you know, saw their faith. And then, then their faith became my faith and my faith became my own. And, um, you know, I hadn't always done everything right, obviously, and have had uh, major, major times of blind spot. But, um, you know, been, uh, you know, thankful to have grown up in a family that, that faithfully pursued the Lord, no doubt. Now, and as far as um, you, now as far as they adopted you, but did you have any other siblings? Uh, not with my uh, well, no, no, I didn't. My uh, my birth parents were in high school, and and they were broken up even when I was born. So I never, I didn't have any siblings there. And then my my uh, adoptive parents couldn't have children, and that's why they adopted me actually. And so n did grew up as an only child. 
Wow. Now, it's so tell me about that that childhood growing up as far as um with your parents. Were they did they come from a family a legacy of faith or was it something that that they found they found the Lord late in their lives and they decided we want to raise a family that's based on the word of God. How did that how what kind of parents did they have, I guess? Well, a little of both, you know, my a little of both. My grandfather on my dad's side um did not follow the Lord until later in life and until until he was an adult and and I think my dad was an adult actually. And so my dad grew up not seeing a picture of what a dad is. But uh, my dad's mom um, was a deeply committed follower of Jesus, and her dad was a pastor, and and so my great grandfather was a pastor. Kind of had that legacy on that side of my family, and then on my mother's side of the family, um, both of her parents were followers of Jesus. Uh, her dad was a deacon in the church for years and years, and so um, at, at least you know in um, the latter years of my grandparents' lives, all four of them followed the Lord as well, and so I, I got to see that that picture you know, uh, even that generation backward. Wow. What a blessing, man. What a blessing. Now, yeah. Chris, um, now tell me how you make that transition now, even though you, you grew up with a great family, great foundation, what drew your heart to ministering towards men? How'd you get into now with your focus now of, um, helping men be disciple and doing it intentionally? I'll tell you, you know, sometimes your greatest misery can become your greatest ministry. Uh, I'll explain what I mean by that in just a second. But, um, you know, I, I've always known that reaching, discipling and mobilizing men um, was the power behind any kind of ministry. We want a ministry to work. We get the men engaged. And um, and so even as a pastor here in the Nashville area, before I came to Lifeway, when we would launch um, new campuses, new churches, we would always start by discipling men, by pouring vision into men. Um, and then we'd launch our public gatherings. And I did the same thing even when I was a student pastor in the early days in ministry. I knew if I could engage strong um, men as leaders in my student ministry, um, then it was likely that I was going to have a powerful student ministry. So the Lord, you know, I knew I knew that intellectually and even, you know, kind of ecclesiologically how that would work in ministries that I would lead. Um, but uh, just before I came to Lifeway several years ago, I had gotten into a season of ministry where I really pursued ministry harder than I pursued my wife and my kids. And I always said early on, uh, a mentor of mine told me, you know, the things that, that I mean, it's such a cliche that every pastor thinks about this, but, um, or has, has heard this at some point, you don't sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry, you know? And so I knew that, I knew that practically, um, but I didn't always live that out. And so, uh, emotionally I was in a time when I was so busy pursuing my church and leading it well, and it was growing and the Lord is doing great things um, that I, I completely, while I was there physically a lot on my day off was on Friday. So I was always there physically, uh, you know, with my family as much as I could be. Emotionally, I was totally checked out. And so um, they had been starving, really, especially my wife had kind of been starving emotionally um, like longer than a year. And I really didn't even know that. Uh, in fact, I really didn't even slow down long enough to have conversations with her, you know, pursue her heart in that way that she would even really tell me those things. And so it finally kind of came to a head one day and um, man, it just broke me. Uh, and I didn't realize it. And so sometimes the Lord has to kind of knock you on your back before you realize things. And so that's really what happened to me. She sat me down and told me things can't continue like they are. So I went through a season of just being being broken um, and uh, saw my marriage 
uh, I, I kind of thought, you know, because I was driving by so fast, I didn't notice the cracks in the walls of my marriage, you know, just flying by. I didn't notice it, um, but realizing my marriage was not nearly as healthy as I thought it was. My relationship with my kids was not as healthy as I thought it was. My relationship with the Lord spiritually. I mean, I was almost kind of the parable of the starving baker. You know, I'm spending so much time feeding my people that I'm not feeding myself, you know. Uh, and so, um, I, you know, I was just more unhealthy than I realized I was. And it took the Lord breaking me that day um, to set and kind of recalibrate those things in my life. And so after about a, a year or two, I really thought, man, the Lord's going to kind of heal me, bind me back up. You know, he binds up the broken pieces. That's what he does. I thought that's what he was going to do. And then launch me back out into a local church. Uh, but actually, uh, Lifeway approached me and asked me if I would step into this space and lead ministry to men there. And I realized that, wow, what the Lord had done in my own heart and showing me the picture um, now very personally, you know, not just ecclesiologically or practically, but very personally what it looks like for a man to engage and lead his family um, the way he should. Now what the Lord had done to me personally, I get to help churches create systems to help men be healthy in the same way the Lord had given me the grace to give me health in that way as well. And so it really is, I'm living in a season right now of my greatest misery being my greatest ministry. Right. You know, and Chris, I can relate to that because you're absolutely right. Um, I tell people I know that I was called to men's ministry or to minister to men because I didn't want to do it. Number one, <laughs> uh, because I thought I had been had suffered so much hurt uh, from men that I couldn't I couldn't possibly be the person he's calling. But with just what you said, but when I went through my own him having to wreck me to raise me, that I realized that I had a lot of practical um, ways to be able to minister to men because who, who better to minister to men to a guy who couldn't trust men? And knowing how to be more vulnerable, transparent, and authentic when building those relationships. So, yeah, God, I, I perfectly understand what you're saying about it, the misery turning into your ministry. And so now, so how long, because you've been in ministry forever, but how long have you been really focused on men? How long has that been for you? Uh, about two and a half years. Two and a half years. So about the same amount of time I've been in this. So, yeah. and you've learned a lot in two and a half, two and a half years, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. I, well, you know, I have. I have. You know, we. Uh, I, I turned my attention very quickly when uh, Life May inv Lifeway invited me to step into this space. I turned my attention very quickly to um, to read everything I could to find churches who are kicking tail and taking names in men's ministry and study as much as I could. You know. You no, know, and that's that's a great question. I want to ask you then to kind of follow up with that because Lifeway approached you about doing this. What exactly did they want? What was their vision for what they wanted you to do working with them? Because I think that's going to lead into how you can help the men's ministry leaders out there now. What were they looking for? Well, several years ago, um, like, you know, when when the Courageous movie that the, the Kendrick right. Brothers, right. when that movie came out, Lifeway um, really focused some attention toward creating resources to kind of fuel the momentum that that movie created when it came to, to reaching and building men. And so, um, so Lifeway, you know, developed some Bible study resources. They started an event for men, a conference for men called the main event. Um, and so those two things now are really kind of the two legs of the, I always say my job has three legs, like a stool with three legs. Those are two of the legs of my stool. I speak uh, a vision over um, our conference for men, the main event. Now it's expanded beyond Nashville to multiple cities. Um, 
speak kind of vision and, and um, give some degree of guidance to our publishing team when it comes to uh, publishing resources for men. And of course, you mentioned in my little bio, um, our um, daily devotional for men called Stand Firm. So I kind of serve as the executive editor for that and do some different things engaged with that. So those are two legs of the stool. Um, the third one, though, is I do training um, and consulting for churches when it comes to men's ministry as well. Yeah. I, and that, see, I wanted them to get that context because there's a reason um, that I brought you on the show. Because when you talk about the four essentials of men's ministry, that's I wanted them to get the background of what you do for Lifeway. Because most people are familiar with Lifeway. I don't know what rock they've been. I wonder if they haven't heard of Lifeway, if yeah. they're Christian, but they should have heard of it. Now, let's talk about this. is What I've been chomping at the bit, waiting to get you on the air, because I want to talk to somebody who can relate. And I can understand um, about men's ministry. It is one of the most frustrating ministries to be part of. I know I'm not saying that running a children's ministry or women's ministry or some of the other ministries that we have in church are not difficult and not challenging, but we have some unique challenges um, when it comes to um, leading men. First of all, before we get into those four essentials, why do you think that a lot of men out there who are listening to our podcast right now are so frustrated with men's ministry and why do we find it so tough and difficult to be have success with it? Well, I mean, there are so many different things I could say about that. I, I think, you know, men, we could talk about this in a little bit with one of the essentials, but, you know, men are wired to be achievers. Uh, by nature. It's just it's just what's in us. God's given this, us this masculine energy for a reason, which we'll get to in a second. But what happened at the fall was when when uh, when sin broke masculinity at the fall, what you see in Genesis chapter three is that that all kinds of thing in man uh, in uh, things in manhood kind of got got frayed and fractured. And one of those things that uh, that, the, that the fall does is it causes men to run hard uh, after things like their job to try to find significance. It makes men, the fall has made men to become achievers. And we think if we can't achieve, if we can't win, we don't even want to play. And so in many churches, um, uh, you know, men just don't feel like this is a place that they can win. That Bible study is a place that they can win. Worship gatherings, uh, this what my church calls our Sunday morning services, are a place they can win. There are multiple reasons for all of those things. But I just think to boil it down to a statement, men don't think they can win. Win, and if men can't win, they don't want to play. Well, wow, and that's I'm glad how you, I like how you summarized that. I, I remember my pastor told me when you know he's been in ministry now for over thirty something years, and he says, Joe, he says, whatever you do for men, he said, make sure that they get a win early. <laughs> he said, I don't care what is your plan, I don't care what is you doing. He, he said exactly what you said, Chris. He said, if they don't win immediately. He said they're gonna now you know want to go home. I said take their PlayStation and go home. <laughs> they don't want they don't want to play. It's so it's, it's it's so true, man. It's so true. In fact, we you know, one of the most common questions I get is, man, men don't want to come to my Bible study. Why do men not want to come to my Bible study? And what I say all the time is, well, um, you know, men don't often don't know. They don't read. First of all, you know, I think Johnny Hunt said my friend Johnny Hunt, who pastors First Baptist Woodstock, Georgia, the other day, he said that 85 percent of men have not read a book since graduation, whether that be from high school or from college, whatever they graduated from. And I don't I can't verify that stat, but I would say that that's true. Well, and if that's true, um, you obviously have to be to, to read to study the Bible. And so 
what that tells us then, if men aren't reading, that men aren't studying the Bible, and if they're not studying the Bible, when it comes to a Bible study, when they go and then are asked a question that they may not know, all of a sudden this this bell goes off, red flag goes up, oh my gosh, I may not be able to win. Somebody might find out that I don't know the Bible as well as I should or well as they think I should or whatever, and so he just doesn't show up. He just doesn't show up because it's not a place he can win. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's, that's, that's a jumping off point that we're going to start because I can't wait to get into this because um, I really want to see men succeed, and so do you, in ministry because if God has put it on their heart, obviously they have answered the call to the, the Great Commission to go out and make disciples. They want to do that. They want to um, see men succeed in, in some of the areas of their life. So let's talk about those four essentials of men ministry. I want you to kind of give us an overview, and then we're going to unpack each one specifically. And I'll kind of just kind of go back and forth with you on those things as it relates to men's ministry. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, you know, people often ask me what a men's ministry should look like. And the reality is when I stepped into this space and began to look at men's ministries all over the country, what I realized is that there's not a cookie cutter approach. And that's that sounds very obvious. Um, often men's ministry leaders want me to give them a cookie cutter approach. There's one. In fact, um, I, I don't often even use the term men's ministry because today some of the um, churches that are doing the best job at reaching, discipling and mobilizing men don't even have a formalized men's ministry. Ministry, um, but some churches that are doing a, a really good job at discipling, you know, raising, uh, training, reaching, discipling, mobilizing men, do have a formalized men's ministry. So, do you have to have a men's ministry to reach, disciple, and mobilize men? No, but you do have to be intentional to reach, disciple, and mobilize men. So, no matter what form it takes, whether it's formalized and you know has a has a you know its own kind of unique brand. Um, by the way, a parenthetical statement here: I'll say last year at our men's conference, there was a church that they all came, they had on the same t-shirt. It was brown. I still remember it. And the shirt, their their men's ministry title was God, Guns, and Grilling. So uh, (laughs) that's in the South, right? And so so, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, formalized men's ministry with a title like God, Guns, and Grilling, or your church just um, shapes their entire environment. Everything they do as a church around reaching men, no matter what it looks like, it's born out of four fundamental essentials. The churches that are doing it well are doing these four things well, and they are um, that they are connecting guys, men, to other godly men. They are discipling men with the Word of God. They are challenging men to understand the mission that God has given them. And they are, fourthly, when all three of those happen, fourthly and finally, God does his transforming work in the hearts of men. So men are transformed by the gospel. Now, I want you to review that. Say that one more time in case somebody wants to write down notes and take that down, because we're going to cover each one. But tell them one more time. Great. Yeah, men are connected. Churches that do this well are connecting men to other godly men. Number two, they are discipling men with the word. Number three, they are challenging men to understand the mission that God has designed them for and called them to. And third, men are being transformed. So connected, discipled, challenged, and transformed by the gospel. All right. Now let's let's unpack uh, some of those because to me, I was blown away in your session because um, you really did a great job of explaining this to the ministry leaders that were there. And, and I want people to also who are listening to this to understand that in that room, pretty much I would say every man in there had a hunger to go back to their church and lead men and be able to minister to men, not just have men's ministry. So out of those four areas of being connected, discipling, um, challenging and transform and transformation, 
Where do you see that we're having the biggest struggle when it comes to being a leader of men in our church? I, I don't know how to answer that question necessarily. I, I mean, I could make a case for all four of them, right? Um, uh, you know, but I, you know, always start with connected because the reality is, and again, <laughs> I could make a case for why this would be number four out of the out of the four, you know. But we'll start there. So, uh, so uh, you know, I always start there because uh, men are, in some ways, as you know, Joe, more connected. Uh, than we ever have been before. I mean, you and I right now are connected over the World Wide Web, right? I mean, we're just more connected than ever before, and yet we're a more uh, lonely generation than ever before. Um, I read not long ago a statistic that said only about 5% of men in their 30s and beyond could even say they have a real friend besides their wife. And the the reality is that I mean we we could talk a lot about that. And often when I do trainings, you know, I'll have guys take ten seconds and write down. I'll explain what a real friend is, what a close friend is, and then have guys write down their five closest friends. And a lot of times they can't write down even one. You know, uh, and and so the point is though that that's a very dangerous place to be because the enemy knows that it's an isolated man that is a vulnerable man to the enemy's attacks. I mean, you think about you watch you know, the animal planet or whatever, and you see a lion attacking a herd of wildebeest, the lion doesn't attack the weakest wildebeest. The lion attacks the wildebeest that's isolated from the herd, right? So it's the isolated man that is vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. And the Bible's very clear. We have an enemy that's prowling like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Uh, and so this is a huge, huge, huge issues uh, or issue because so many men are connected, quote unquote, in some way, but they're not known, like really known below the surface by anybody. Now, so Chris, I I agree with you 100% on that. You know, it's not even a coincidence that we call our ministry Real Men Connect, because I think that's where it starts. But for that guy out there, okay, how do we get past that obstacle? And since, like you said, we have so much technology and we have so many opportunities, but we're still not connecting. So what advice would you give us as men's ministry leaders, a leader of men, and we're um, discipling, reaching, and mobilizing men, how do we get our men more connected to each other? What could we do? Well, I think we've got to create a, uh, we've got to create environments, number one, that are safe environments uh, where, where trust is established. That would be number one. Um, number two, we've got to recognize that, man, this takes a long time. Establishing trust for a man takes a long time. And I say all the time, uh, this this particular essential, you know, connected, you know, the way we're talking about is really better, better built in a crock pot than a microwave. Um, in fact, my friend JT McCraw, who's the men's pastor at Bethel World Outreach Church in um, Brentwood, Tennessee, he says, that it really took him seven years uh, to create this kind of culture in his church. Now, you know, we, the, the term seven, don't over-spiritualize that. You know, sometimes in the church, we seven, that's you know, <laughs> the number. That's the, nothing spiritual about that at all. That's just how long it took him practically, right, you know, right. seven years. Um, and then I would say next, it's important to create a culture of, in, of strategic um, and courageous vulnerability courageous vulnerability. Um, and that's a term we use in my church and I love that term. And so I've kind of hijacked it and I use it in my men's uh, ministry training. It's because being vulnerable and kind of letting a guy uh, go, what I always, always say below the line of shame. And I'll explain what that means in a second, uh, being vulnerable in that way, it takes major courage, you know? Um, and so what's below the line of shame, you know, we, we all have, 
sort of a, a line that we draw, uh, you know, psychologically in our minds. And, and above that line are things that we're willing to share with, you know, you know, our small group or just, you know, Joe, you and I may talk about it, even though we don't know each other real well. We've only just recently met, you know, just things we talk about, ball games or our kids or whatever, even maybe some of our past failures. Uh, but below the line of shame would be those things that, man, we're afraid if I share this with you, Joe, you're most definitely going to reject me. That's my fear, at least. And so we'll keep those things hidden. Um, and so what men's ministry leaders need to do is to create a culture of intentional vulnerability by themselves going below the line of shame and sharing some of those things you know, that, that they would not want to share with other people. You know, attitude always reflects leadership. And so if we're going to lead our men's ministries to be really connected, then we've got to we've, we've got to lead the way in that by sharing some weaknesses and struggles and man, things that not just that the Lord has freed us from years ago, but current struggles that we deal with even today. Oh, I agree with you 100 percent on that as well. Um, it's the thing is, I, cause I heard you mention that when we were in that breakout session about going below the line of shame. I love how you said that. And I like that word, courageous vulnerability. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know which pastor said, but I heard a pastor once said, he says, when you tell a man about only your successes, you're not motivating him. You're actually making him resentful <laughs> of you. Well, and and I, and I agree with that because they want to know that you have some vulnerability. So, and it does take um, courage to do that, but you, but you say you have to create that culture in the environment that allows you to do that. And so I put down here in my notes here about creating a safe environment. He said, and it takes time. I heard Pat, Pat Morley from Man in the Mirror say that you should go in when it comes to ministering to men that you give yourself a minimum about 10 years <laughs> before you actually really get wow. to, to solidify that relationship. So even at seven, you know, it's not a standard number, but basically that what we're hearing is going to take time. It's not going to be something that's going to happen overnight. Now, let me ask you about the discipling piece about discipling men, because I think we misunderstand that word in which we think when we're doing men's ministry, quote, men's ministry, that we're discipling men because they're showing up at a pancake breakfast or they're showing up at some type of event or function and we get a great turnout that we're discipling men. And you and I both know that it's a lot deeper and there's more involved in that. Could you explain to us the difference between just bringing men together, um, even though it may be consistently but actually discipling men and what that looks like? Yeah. Yeah. There, there's so much we could say about this. And really all of these pieces that we'll talk about today could almost fall under, you know, sort of the umbrella of, of discipling men. It's all discipleship. Um, but, I, you know, I'll just say this. And, and unfortunately, you know, disciple making uh, or discipleship has really become a junk drawer term in many churches and in many Christians. Like what I mean by that, it's just where everything falls. Right. Some churches, you know, the discipleship is the five o'clock on Sunday night, um, you know, hour. And, and I grew up in a church in Alabama where we called that hour the discipleship training hour. Um, but then it just kind of shortened to discipleship. You're going to discipleship tonight? Yeah. You know, which implies um, outside of that hour, I'm, I'm not doing discipleship, right? <laughs> you know, and so it's discipleship has been defined as so many different things, Um but the, but the bottom line is it's it's helping men uh, on this journey. We're all on a journey toward becoming mature in Christ. You know, Paul said to the Colossians, 
Um, we proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's Colossians 1. And then Paul would go on to say, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. And so the, the point is we're all on this journey toward maturity in Christ. And so discipling men simply means that we, like Paul, labor to help men move progressively more and more and more um, to, to be mature in Christ to say the things that Jesus would say, to think the things that Jesus would think, and to do the things that Jesus would do. And that's what a disciple looks like. So Chris, answer this for me then, for that man out there who's listening to this, if he wants to know if he's moving in the right direction and that men are actually being discipled in his church, what are some of the things he should look for as good indicators to say, wow, we are actually making disciples or we are actually helping them mature in Christ, what should what signs should he be looking for in the men that they're working with? Well, there's so many metrics we could point to. I would say, you know, first of all, the, you know, the best way to, to um, identify are we making disciples is to look at guys' stories. You know, what are their marriage? Compare it to a year ago or six months ago. Are their marriages becoming healthy? Um, you know, maybe back then, they, maybe they're still looking at porn once a month, but back then they were looking at porn every day. You know, are they making progress in their spiritual journey and are they becoming more and more healthy? Ultimately, the mark of a disciple is, is that disciple a disciple maker? And so really, you know, if you've made a disciple, if that disciple is also making disciples. Yeah, the way I kind of describe that, I say, if that man is not multiplying, then spiritually he's dying. And so look for the multiplication. I'm glad you added that. Yeah, look for that multiplication. If he can't reach other men and help them along, then he's not truly been discipled yet because he's going to go out and repeat what was done with him. Now, let's get into an area that I really like that you covered at the conference when I heard you. It's about challenging men, um, the mission in challenging men. Talk about, explain what you mean by challenging men well, you know, the, the the reality is that God has woven into the fabric of the masculine heart this desire to fight for something that's bigger than himself. And we don't have to look very far, even in our own lives, to recognize that. It's why we like um, the movies we like, you know, Brave Our Freedom, you know, they're fighting for something bigger than ourselves. And um, I, there's I, my favorite movie of all time, Joe, is Remember the Titans. And there's a scene in that movie um, where the coach, the, I think his name is Coach Yost, the defensive coordinator, calls them over and he, he brings the defense together and he says, I don't want them to gain another yard. You know, and he points out this this uh, deal. He says, I, he says uh, I want them to remember forever the night they played the Titans. And man, listen, I'll watch that over and over and over. And if it comes on you know, TV, I'll rewind that scene 10 times and just watch it over because <laughs> it pumps me up, man. Right. I, that's probably ridiculous. And so don't judge me for that. But uh, the point is, the reason that resonates in my masculine heart and, and whatever movie scene you resonate with resonates with you is because God has woven into us this desire to fight for something bigger than ourselves. Well, that's not an accident. That's not just so that we can run after, you know, uh, our, you know, bench pressing more or taking the big buck or, um, you know, our, you know, running, running a touchdown or, or whatever it might be, climbing the corporate ladder even. That is so that we will actually give ourselves, God has strategically designed it so that men would lead the way in taking the gospel to people who have not yet heard the gospel. And until a man, and we could talk about, you know, we can look at the Bible to point to this, this picture, but until a man realizes the reality of this, he will always give himself 
to lesser missions. Um, if you have a man in your church or even you struggle with running hard after the corporate, you know, climbing the corporate ladder, what that indicates is that there's something about the mission of God taking the gospel to the nations uh, that this man does not yet understand and live out. And so it's really important that men's ministry leaders help guys understand this mission that God's called us to, and then give them practical ways to live that mission out. Uh, and until we do that, we'll always struggle with having guys run after lesser missions. And Chris, you had said earlier about even with all these four essentials that any one of them, you said you can kind of mix and match and say this one could be more important. And this is a good example of that, that challenge of um, selling for the lesser thing that Unfortunately, we're not being challenged enough as men in our churches. You know, you mentioned with the movie, um, Remember the Titans, for me, it's 300. And yeah. when King Leonidas, when he was talking about no retreat and no surrender, man, about, hey, even though they were facing these, um, these you know, uncomparable odds, he said, we're going to die. He said, we're going to die. We're going to die with a spear in our chest, not in our backs. And that thing, I can watch that thing a million times, man. I love that. And he I was know, ready man. to fight. But I think that's something that's missing from um, our churches when it comes to men. We, you know, I think it was John Eldridge who was in Wild at Heart talking about we need an adventure um, to pursue and a battle to fight and that kind of thing. What can we do then as ministry leaders to challenge our men without actually pushing them away. Because like you said earlier, that men like to win. They like to succeed. And if you put the challenge too great and they lose, they're going to quit. So how do we find that balance that will get them challenged enough to be engaged and say, wow, we can do this and move instead of being stuck or retreating? Well, I, you know, I, I'm a preacher, you know, so so I naturally my mind when you ask that question immediately goes to the, the preacher, the pastor, the teacher, whoever it is leading that group needs to give men a theological uh, picture of, of of really why this is the way it is. Everything I just described, we need to point guys to why God has woven that into our uh, into our hearts. And then we need to give guys a vision that's compelling. We need to show them, give them a vision. If your church's vision uh, is not bigger than you and guys can't practically see how they can engage with it, it's not the right vision. Um, and so at least for reaching and, and mobilizing and engaging uh, men. And so we, we've got vision is a huge, huge, huge piece of this. And then I always say, you know, this has to be sort of equal parts organized and organic. And a church that does this really well is a church actually that my parents go to in Alabama. They have organized a uh, mission where they're helping guys um, be challenged in this way by organizing a group of men who, who uh, I think it's once a month, they will build wheelchair ramps for an organization in their community that helps people um, who are homebound. And so literally they've built hundreds of wheelchair ramps in a rural area in uh, Jackson County, Alabama. And so what they're doing is actually they are helping their guys practically live out a mission that God has called them to in a very simple way. It's not deep theological education, you know, we're not exegeting anything we're, we're, except the culture, and they're, they're exegeting the culture, and they're meeting a need that the culture has, um, and they're mobilizing those guys to do that, and um, and so it's been super successful for them. So we got to give guys vision, and then we've got to give them practical ways to live it out. 
Wow, that's good stuff, man. That's really good stuff. Now, let's go into the transformation part of it. Of Because um, you said that in order to be effective, we have to make sure that this experience is transformational. What do you mean by transformational? Well, often what I, what I observe in men's ministries is this more behavior modification than gospel transformation. And right. so what we will say to guys is things like, hey, the Bible said, the, so, so we have this pr- practical picture of the Bible being like a rule book that we all must follow. And in order to find God's approval on our lives as men, we must live up to the, you know, this standard of what manhood needs to be and check all the boxes the right way. And if we don't check all the boxes the right way, God isn't happy with us because we haven't followed all the rules in the rule book. And actually, what the picture that we see in the Bible is that it, it, that it is it is not a rule book. It's a story of God's grace on broken people. And so often what men's ministries will do is they'll give guys rules that they need to follow. Hey, don't look at porn. Hey, you need to date your wife. Hey, don't say this. Hey, say that. You know, and certainly there's a there's a piece of exhortation that that every man needs. We need to be taught what the Bible says, right? But but we need to be very careful not to give guys rules to follow without showing them that it actually starts with gospel transformation in our hearts. And when the gospel transforms a heart, it actually changes the behavior from the inside out. If we work it from the outside in by giving them rules to follow, what will happen is it's actually like putting a Band-Aid on cancer. You know, we can make a guy feel bad that he looks at porn every day on his computer and he'll stop for a couple of weeks. But then, you know, it's like putting a Band-Aid on it. But then after a few weeks, he looks at porn again and he's even more frustrated because he just didn't feel like he can live up. And so what that if that's happening, what that's indicating is that that church or that ministry is is producing behavior modification, not gospel transformation. And men's ministry needs more transformation than behavior modification. Yeah, you're, you're right on with that, too. Um, even using the, the analogy about porn, um, people tell me about, Joe, what's the best porn filter to get on your computer? Because, you know, there's some great ones out there. I said, but you realize that's not the problem. I said, uh, a good that's filter right. can will prevent you from getting access to porn, but it's not going to stop you from watching it. And so it's not about behavior modification. It's about um, heart transformation. And so what can we, how can we foster that and at least promote that and encourage guys to seek that as opposed to just behavior modification? Because you have to kind of deprogram them from how they were raised and really raised in church of just following the rules and be a good boy and that kind of thing. So what what suggestions do you give to ministry leaders on um, promoting um, heart transformation, not just behavior modification? Well, this this was really important to me uh, in in this role at Lifeway. Really important to me um, because I see, this is rampant. I see it all over the country, um, and and in fact, I, I really grew up in a in a church culture that that taught things this way. Uh, and so, this is really important to me. So, what we did at Lifeway is actually um, back in January of 2017, um, we released a Bible study for men's groups called Unfolded the story of God. Uh, and it's an eight-week study that goes chronologically through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Obviously, it's a, just a 30,000-foot view. You can't to cover everything in eight weeks. But, um, and, and, but the point of this is we actually wanted to go through Scripture and find those stories that we most naturally 
kind of uh, would would lead us to teach it in a way that is behavior modification based. And we actually wanted to reverse it and say, here's actually how that story points to the real story of the gospel, how God transforms a heart. And so, which then results in um, behavior being modified naturally, really by the transforming power of the gospel. So we, we developed this study called Unfolded, born out of this exact thing we're talking about and the need to help churches um, create uh, environments that are gospel transformationally based rather than behavior modif- modificational um, in, in, in essence. And so the study is called Unfolded, the Story of God. And you can find out more about it at lifeway.com slash unfolded. And I tell groups all the time, this may be the most important study we've done because wow. of, of what we're talking about here. It's it's not, you know, here's how you can be a better man in your marriage. Here's how you can be a better man in your money. Those are great and those are important. But this one is foundational um, because if we don't really understand the story of the gospel and how our behavior is modified by transformation, um, all those other things, man, they'll just be like putting a Band-Aid on cancer. Well, Chris, is that like, I'm definitely, before when we get off this call, I'm going to go get it. But <laughs> as far as, with that, is it something that every man has to read themselves or is it something that ministry leaders can get and then be able to, to teach or share with their with their men? How is it distributed? Yep, yep. That the the latter. Um, and so it's we it comes with a leader kit. Um, and so in the leader kit, there's a workbook for guys, and I use that term very loosely. Uh, it's not <laughs> not hours of homework or whatever. Um, it's more of a devotional. And so um, there's a there's a workbook slash devotional that a guy would have. And then there's a DVD. Um, Dr. Eric Geiger uh, is the, is the guy that wrote this study and and uh, is is teaching on the DVDs. And so the the group leader would just pop that DVD in. Dr. Geiger would teach for about 15 to 20 minutes. There'd be some discussion time around the table or in their group. Uh, and then the guys would take their devotional book home and as much as they want to throughout the week, unpack it further in some personal devotional time. It's got throughout the week. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cause I definitely, and we'll put that in the show notes as well. So they'll have access to that. Cause I definitely, I want to get a copy of that myself just to have it because it sounds very interesting. Now we're getting ready to, to go into the man up questions in just a minute, Chris. But before we do that, uh, we mentioned earlier in your bio that you're a consultant. That means you work with a lot of churches. Um, um, I'm assuming all over the country, not just in the state of Tennessee, cause I, I met you, you in another state when I saw you. So you're working with a lot of ch- churches. So you've seen some of the good, the bad, the ugly when it comes to what we're doing in men's ministry um quickly for us and i want you to just kind of quickly off the top of your head or some of the things that you remember give us some of the best things or most innovative things you've seen being done um in men's ministry in your just in your natural meeting these churches working with them case studies that kind of thing what's what are some of the stories that stand out to you or what some great things the churches are doing give them a shout out right now some of those churches. yeah i'll tell you um my friend tom kang is a men's pastor at saddleback church in southern california and you know, for years and years, Saddleback has been a model for many churches because of Rick Warren and the Purpose Driven Church and the Purpose Driven Life. And they do a great job. I think the website is saddleback.com slash men, I think, I think is what they're what they're doing. Um, and uh, they do a, I think it's monthly, it may be quarterly um, gathering of men. They call it Man Up. It's They do a really, really cool thing. They do a yearly sort of, they call it the Wilderness Retreat. They're just doing some really um, engaging things uh, to to engage Southern California men um, with the gospel, some creative things to do that. Um, 
I believe the church's name is James River Church. Um, I recently heard about James River Church. They're in Missouri. Uh, they do a really great men's conference and some intentional ministry to men. Gateway Church in Dallas, Texas does some really great things. Has created some really, really compelling environments for men. They do a, a couple of large gatherings. I think they do three, actually, large gatherings for men a year. Um, that's a good one. And I could go on and on, but those are those are three. Now those are three very large churches. Um, I mentioned I mentioned a church uh, in Alabama, Trinity Baptist Church in Scottsboro, Alabama, um, which is not far from you, Joe, in, in Chattanooga. Uh, uh, they're the church that does the wheelchair ramps. They're a very small church, probably 120 people at this church. Um, but doing, you know, it's it's not slick, it's not sexy. There's no light show, uh, but they're doing some neat things to engage their guys. All right. And what makes those churches stand out to you the most? Why why do they resonate with you when you've been traveling and meeting with some of these people? That's a really great question. I, I think I think the reason those stand out to me is because they're doing things that are outside the norm. You know, often, especially in the South, which is where I, you and I are, um, if, if it doesn't involve wild game or pancakes, can we call <laughs> it men's ministry? You know, right, right. Um, many times. And so uh, none, none of these churches are doing those kinds of things. They may be doing that too. I don't know. But uh, they're doing things that are different than that. Um, I'll tell you another church, actually, I just happened to think of um, is Long Hollow Baptist Church, which is here in the Nashville area, uh, led by a guy named Robbie Gallaty, who used to be in your area, Joe, uh, but and now is in uh, here in the Nashville area. They, they really don't even have a men's ministry there, but they do a killer job at reaching men. And they actually have a full-time staff member that his job is not men's ministry, it's men's discipleship. And so they've created a strategic pathway for discipleship. You know, we talked about the journey earlier and they've created a pathway for, you know, progressively how someone moves along that journey. Uh, and that's for their whole church. But there's a guy on staff there that's full time that just helps engage men in that pathway. And so theirs looks very different, even than the others. The others we talked about, they would have, quote unquote, men's ministries. Long haul doesn't have that, but they do disciple men very intentionally. Wow. You know, I like I wish we were using that term instead of men's ministry. I like men's discipleship because that that infers something different. But I, I tell you, you just mentioned all those churches. What I'm going to do and, you know, I get somebody to help me. We'll go make sure we find those churches and try to get links. And we'll add that to your show notes so people can right. check out those. Because I think that'd be a great resource for the men's. Or I might just create another page on our blog and they can just go check it out. But I appreciate you sharing that, Chris, with us. Because a lot of times we have to understand that there are people who are, yes, we're all struggling. We all get frustrated. But some people are having some some great success and we just need to know about it. And maybe we can get them connected. There, Some of these churches are thinking, wow, how, all of a sudden all these people calling us or emailing us. Yeah, yeah. We'll say it's Chris's fault. <laughs> So that's right. No, we'll we'll make sure to promote them though as well. So thank you for sharing that with us. Now, Chris, it is time, man, and it's that part of the show that we do our infamous man up questions. And it's just five quick questions, starting with the letters M A N U P, and they require fearless honesty, which you say you have that courageous vulnerability, so you won't have a problem with this. So you're gonna answer those five questions for us. So the question is, Chris, are you ready? I hope so. We'll see. All right, and we'll be right back after this short break with my guest, Chris Dalberry. How would you like to hang out with some of the men you've been listening to? Better yet, what if I could bring them right to you? 
With our Real Men Connect app, you can now have instant access to me and my brothers from another mother, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now just think about it. What if you could gain access to more than 1,570 plus years of combined husband, father, spiritual leadership, and manhood experience when you need it the most? Well, now you can. Just go to the app store on your iPhone, Android, or mobile device and type in the word Real Men Connect and press download. That's it. It's that simple and it's free. You'll gain instant access to more than 100 interviews, man training videos, articles, daily motivational messages, access to resources just for men, and much, much more. So don't just sit there. Download it. And if you really want to bless us, rate the app for us. But more importantly, share it with another brother. Now back to the podcast. Welcome back, Mighty Men of God. We have Chris Dolberry here with Lifeway Christian Resources, and his focus is on men's ministry, and he's been talking to us about the four essentials of men's ministry, and he's agreed to answer our Man Up questions. So Chris has never done this before, but I'm telling you, Chris, you're going to enjoy it. We're going to dig into um, your heart as a man, and just speak, just brutally honest from your heart, man, what comes to mind when we ask you these questions. We're going to start with the first letter, which is M. Now, the M stands for mistake. What mistake did you learn the most from as a man, because you mentioned earlier about how, you know, ministry kind of took the front seat and your family took a back seat. But I'm talking about really even beyond that, what mistakes you learned the most from as a man? Well, I think un- underlying um, the the mistake that you just referred to that I said I had made earlier, underlying there was um, a degree of passivity. You know, one of the things that we see that broken manhood at the fall and the way it plays out is is a passivity uh, in in men. And we could go on and on about that, but I'll tell you, I had become passive in many ways. To be passive really just means to be aggressive in areas that we shouldn't be aggressive in, and that's exactly what I had done. The reason I was running hard after my church is um, is because I was being aggressive in that area, but I had gone passive in my family. And passivity is something that, that the Lord needs to burn out of all of our hearts. And um, it, it's definitely the biggest mistake I had made. And what I, what I observed when God kind of knocked me on my back during that season that I mentioned earlier um, was actually how passivity was so damaging to my family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I heard someone once say that, um, they say, if you go through life casually, you'll end up a casualty. And I think it should be modified that if we go through life casually, our families and our marriages and our relationships can end up a casualty. And you've um you've seen what that could possibly be like. Um, let's go with the A. Now, the A represents attitude. And I can't wait to hear your answer for this because you work with so many men and you work with so many churches as a consultant. If you could change one attitude in men, other than passivity. <laughs> I'm ready to take your answer from you. <laughs> but if you could change one attitude in men, what would it be, Chris? Could I modify passivity? And just- <laughs> <laughs> Yo, no, go there. Go there with apathy. Explain that because that's my pet peeve when it comes to men. But I want to hear your take on apathy. What do you mean by apathy? I, you know, I, I think, I mean, there's so, it's so related to passivity, but I, I just think it's a, ah, you know, yeah. I'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No big deal. You know, uh, and so I observe, I, I'm going to throw my 14 year old under the bus, you know, right now. Um, but he's in this set, in this state. If you have teenagers, I have a know, teenager. I have a 14 year old daughter. <laughs> there you go. Okay. I don't know if your daughter's this way, but my son is just in this stage where he just really doesn't care very much about anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, um, 
Um, and, and, and really that attitude is not, there's a, there's a 14 year old boy inside of all of us screaming to come out sometimes. Um, and so I see this with, uh, with men sitting on the side when something desperately needs to be done to engage, uh, in their churches, uh, you know, and they sit on the side and go, ah, well, somebody else needs to do that or, well, it'll be all right or, or whatever. Um, you know, uh, and it plays its way out in many ways, but I, I think that's an attitude that I see that's that's frustrating. I, you know, as I talk through it, Joe, I'm a verbal processor and sometimes I have to talk to realize what I'm thinking actually. And so uh, as I talk, you know, one of the things that that comes to mind, I think is 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 just attitude of legalism uh, and sort of kind of thinking that we all have it together. Uh, and, and really that's really born out of kind of my, my passion for gospel transformation. And under that is the the underlying reality that we actually are deeply, deeply broken and none of us have it all together. And so to kind of put out the air that we do have it all together is that's pretty frustrating to me. You know, Chris, and I'm glad you went there. I'm glad you verbally processed it as you were talking because you bring up a a great point that which I believe has allowed me. I remember I told you I had some issues with trusting men and very I've been interviewed on a lot of other people's shows, but nobody's ever asked me, how did I overcome that trust issue? And now that you brought it up, I just thought about it based on what you just said. The reason why I'm able now to trust men and I couldn't before is because I see men differently now than I used to. What I see now is I see that every man that I run into, including myself and every person I see, regardless if they're a believer or not, is that they're all hurting. We're all hurting just to different degrees. We're not all hurting to the same degree, but to different degrees. And we're looking for a safe place to share and a healthy place to grow. And so if I can see that person who's in charge of the mega church, even the person who's never gone to church, I still see them the same way. They're all hurting just to different degrees. So if I see an Andy Stanley <laughs> at his church, I still don't look at him as being this guy who's running this mega church, but I see him as, wow, he's a guy running a mega church, but I'm sure he's hurting to a degree. If I was his friend, I would want to know what that hurting is and how can I support him in it. And, and that's allowed me to be able to see men differently through a different perspective. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And yeah, my word is apathy too. It's that nonchalant of, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Let's go, Chris, to the, to the end. The N stands for next. And, you know, you, you basically say you have three areas in which you do with Lifeway and you're wearing three different hats. But what would be the next big thing you would attempt to do for God if you knew you could fail based on now, two and a half years into this and working with life, what would you um, attempt to do? Joe, that's a good question, man. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm just in this season of life where I really am enjoying what I'm doing, honestly. I, I mean, I really, I really, really am. I, I think my dream in, in the men's ministry world that I live in now is is to be a connector uh, of those those men's ministries across the country, um, uh, you know, in a, in, to a greater degree than I am now. And, you know, to, the, the only thing I can really point to that has, has done this in the men's ministry space is, is promise keepers. And to some degree, promise keepers is still around, but nothing like they used to be. And and so I, am I saying we want Lifeway to be the next promise keepers? Not at all. That, that was a unique thing the Lord did during that season. But in the same way that they were connectors of men and men's ministries across the country, I, I would dream um, that that we could see that same kind of movement and, and somehow uh, you know I, I could lead the way to in, engage churches in that same way. 
You know, and Chris, I would love to see organizations like Lifeway and a lot of these, because we know a lot of men's ministries out there who are big organizations, and I would love to see them work together. You know, and I I think this podcast gives me an opportunity to kind of meet those people and kind of share resources that, hey, do you know such and such is doing this? And so just me reaching out to you and connecting with you helps because I would love to see that happen. And I would like to see us come together as organizations to say, what can we do to expand God's kingdom through men on this earth? And you're right. Promise Keepers is still around, but they don't, they've lost that kind of momentum. And I don't know what they did, but you, like you said, it was a perfect timing at that season. I was um, actively engaged in Promise Keepers and man, I, I still hadn't seen anything like it yet. And I see some stuff stirring. There's a, a ministry. And if I don't know if you heard of it called SoulCon. I have, um, yes, I have. And I'm telling you, um, and I had the guy, um, Cody Bobay, on this show, and he's great friends of mine now. Um, I'll tell you, I have the, the momentum is starting to remind me a little of that. And I'm, I'm hoping that he will connect with other ministries as well because they figured out something because they're attracting a lot of millennials, man, a lot of millennials. In addition to older guys like me too as well, but I'm seeing that gap bridged. And I haven't seen that in a lot of ministry, except when Promise Keepers was um, very prominent back in the day. Yeah. So, but I'm glad you shared that with us. Now, let's look at the, we're going to get back to you personally now, Chris, and you stands for understand. Now, when you were a younger man, what was the one thing you didn't understand? This could have been even before you got married. What didn't you understand when you were younger about being a man that you know better now? I, I mean, I, Joe, honestly, I, I'm going to go back to passivity. I, I, I wish I understood, uh, you know, uh, let me rewind and say I definitely want to honor my dad and and my my grandpas and 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 I did earlier I think and they were godly godly men um, a, a lot of um, you know what their the model of manhood that they had seen uh, and and then you know a lot of what I saw in them kind of communicated passivity in some ways we but all men struggle with passivity. So uh, I wish, though, that that somehow um, I could have understood it uh, and and how it would uh, how it how the the brokenness in me would play its way out in terms of passivity uh, in my own heart in multiple different ways. And so, you know, I'm really trying to kind of create that in the next generation um, with my sons. And so I got this little saying that I always say with them when I see them do something that is them rejecting passivity and engaging their responsibility as a man, I'll, I'll, I'll say that's what men do. That's what men do. That's what men, you know. And so I mean, even something as simple as my little eight year old boy opening the car door for his mom. And I'll say, buddy, way to go. That is what men do. You know, that kind of thing, uh, b- because I really wish at his age I had understood um, what passivity was, how to reject it and how to engage in what God says a man should be. Chris, that is good. I like that. That's just that simple thing. And that's a way of affirming um, your son. And just remind him and let him know, because he may not even know that's what men are supposed to do or yep. men should be doing. So I like that. I'm going to use that. That is great. I'm going to use that with a lot of young men that I see, even if I don't know him personally. If I see that, I may just go up to a young man and just tell him, that, you know what? Just whisper to him, man. That's wonderful. That's what men do. That's um, what makes- I, and I think we should all be doing that, looking for those um, those moments that we could speak into a young man's life. I'm talking about starting a conversation. That'd be a great way to acknowledge them that way and affirm I- I love that, Joe. And I think you're right, you know, because men rarely feel honored anywhere in their lives. And I'm just of the belief, I know you are too, that if you give a man a crown, he'll become a king. Absolutely. So let's, on, let's honor men. Let's honor him. Exactly. Now, so we're going to end with this last question, with is the P that stands for problem. And as a mighty man of God, what one problem do you still um, struggle with in life, even as a man today? 
You better not say passivity, Chris. <laughs> you, well, and have me go to passivity again. Uh, and, and so I do. I, I think it's a constant fight and struggle that I have to that I have to deal with and take to the Lord. But I'll tell you, I think even beyond that, again, verbal processing here, what comes to mind is uh, my identity in Christ. I think one of the most under discussed issues in all of Christianity um, is uh, is our identity in Christ, who God yes. says we are. Yes. Because I really believe if we understand who God says we are foundationally, we'll know what to do practically in a situation. And so often when I find myself straying from the Lord or not knowing what to do, it's because actually I've allowed the enemy to convince me to live in an an identity that's not really my own. Um, And so I think the issue that constantly is there as an undercurrent that I have to constantly have God's grace applied to is my identity in Christ and understanding every day who who God says I am. And Chris, do you believe this? Now, you didn't know this, but um. Our, the number one show that's been downloaded the most in our podcast has been a guest who we brought on, um, Dave Hickman. I told you about wrote that book, Closer Than Close. He talked about our identity in Christ. And I was shocked that that's the most downloaded episode we have on Real Men Connect, which tells you that there is a real need and a real issue that we have to address. Because when it comes down to it, we as men, it goes back to what you said originally and um, earlier on in the show about us being achievement oriented. We want to believe we measure up and that we're good enough for God and not realizing that God has extended grace to us, that we can never be good enough for God, but he can never, we can never do anything that will make God not love us. And so you're right. That identity is probably one of the biggest struggles we have, but we don't always share uh, with people. So I'm glad you did. And Chris, you did a great job, man. You you survived the man up questions, man. <laughs> I'm glad. I, well, that was tough. Well, <laughs> the gauntlet right there. And we've reached the end of our our show today, but um, don't you worry. We'll be back and do it all again next week with a new guest, with new insights and new lessons. So make sure you don't miss it. And I like to thank my guest, Chris Dalberry, for joining us today for being so gracious with this time. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you very much. Honor to be here. And Chris, it's been a blessing to have you. But quickly for our listeners, um, if they wanted to find out more about you and what Lifeway is doing and what you're doing with Lifeway, what would be the best way to reach out and connect with you? Yeah, our, we, we blog regularly, lifewaymen.com. You can find it there. Um, also, our resources are found at lifeway.com slash men. So lifeway.com slash men is resources side. The blog side is lifewaymen.com, all right? Um, Twitter at lifewaymen, um, Facebook, lifewaymen, and uh, and I'm on Twitter and Facebook at Chris Dalberry, both of those places. And uh, I have a personal website um, for speaking engagements and that kind of thing, Chris Dalberry. All right. And we'll, and believe it or not, listeners, we're going to put all that in the show notes. So you'll have all that information right at your fingertips when you go um, listen to Chris's episode on the podcast. And again, thanks, Chris, for um, sharing that information with us. And to all of you out there, please do us a favor. This is so important. Take about 30 seconds to go over to iTunes and rate the program for us. It's the best way to help us get this program in the hands, ears, and hearts of men just like you. And please don't keep us a secret. Share us with your friends. And you have been doing that, and I thank you for it, because we're now the number one podcast in the country on iTunes for Christian men. So until next time, I'm Joe Martin, your man builder with RealMenConnect.com, reminding you that we are males by birth, but we are men by choice. So each and every day, choose to be the man God called and created you to be because a male is a terrible thing to waste. So until next time, stay strong, stay blessed, and as always, stay in his grip. Thank you for listening to the Real Men Connect podcast with Dr. Joe Martin. 
Real Men Connect isn't just a podcast. It's a mission, ministry, and movement to help good men become the great men God called and created us to be. And the best is yet to come. So if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and leave us a review in iTunes. It really helps us to build the podcast and to reach, teach, and impact more men, all for the glory of God. And make sure you check out realmenconnect.com to get our free tools and resources to help you go from good man to great man God's way. Again, that's realmenconnect.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Real Men Connect is a listener-supported podcast, and we're now the number one radio podcast on iTunes for Christian men. If this podcast has blessed you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to bless and transform the lives of even more husbands, fathers, sons, and leaders, please prayerfully consider supporting this ministry. Just go to realmenconnect.com and click on the donate button. And may God bless your faithful giving.